So I'm going to move this up a little bit. I actually love having these kids up here uh, praying and leading us in worship. Isn't that awesome? That is an awesome thing. It's a great thing. So, well, this morning we continue our Lakeside series. We're along the Sea of Galilee, right? And we're with Jesus and his disciples along the Sea of Galilee. So we're going to dig in this morning. I'd like to pray before we get started, if that's okay. So let's pray together. Lord, open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts. We might see wondrous things in your word this morning. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So I live about three blocks from Wheaton College, and, um, and at the end of the school year, the Wheaton College students, of course, get dumpsters dropped outside of each of the dorms, and they start dumping all their college junk into the dumpsters. My children have learned this is a good time to go dumpster diving near Wheaton College because college kids that have, I guess, a lot of money just throw their stuff out. <laughs> Maybe their parents don't know that, but that's what happens. So my kids go down there, and they dumpster dive in the dumpsters and see if they can find any good treasures down there. My son, Ben... The oldest one is a specialist at this, and so him and his friends every year would mark it in their calendars and head down to Wheaton College to dumpster dive. So one year they come back with this whole car full of stuff, but the real treasure they found this day was not like a new printer or a television or some of those things they often bring home. They found a plastic electric car, you know those ones that you can drive around that kind of are motorized? And they brought this thing home. Now these are high school kids, so they can't fit in the car, but they have a vision they're on a mission. There's a hill near our house. It's a really steep hill, and they want to they re- retrofit this car so it will go down the hill really fast. So these kids, who, by the way, if I asked them to work in my yard and fix my fence or something, they would tell me they didn't know how to work a tool. They didn't know how to do this. They would be giving up in no time. They'd be telling me, there's no way, Dad, we can't do this, right? But these kids, because they're on a mission, they have a vision for this car going down the hill, they got the tools out in the backyard, and they are working diligently to retrofit this car to go down this hill. It was amazing to watch. When people have a vision and a mission, it drives them, right? When your heart gets around something, you just can't stop them. Nothing could get in their way this day, right? It was amazing. Eventually, they got that car working. They took it down the hill at, I don't know, high speeds. I think everyone lived to tell the story. Now, as we join our friends this morning, the disciples, Jesus' disciples, the boys, they are on their way across the Sea of Galilee. Remember, we left them last week in the middle of the sea. The storm had been calmed by Jesus, right? And then now we're looking, going, who is this guy in the boat with us? And Jesus is taking them to the other side because he wants them to get on the mission of God. So he's trying to help them understand the mission. He's trying to help them get onto the mission. So our story picks up right at the end. He calms the storm, and eventually the boat lands. Now, I think when Jesus got in this boat, again, he doesn't do things by accident. I think he was taking them on the other side on purpose because he had something he wanted to teach them on the way. Okay, so we're going to go to Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to start out, and here's what it says. They went across to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, this Greek word's a little unclear. Could have been the Gadarenes, it could have been the Gerasenes, it could have been Gergasa. We're not exactly sure where this particular story occurs, although I have some ideas from having been in Israel. But I want to stop right here. I want to pause because I want you to know that in the Bible, when we read place names, they actually matter. Most of us skim over the places because they're weird names we can't really read or understand. But place names actually matter, and this one matters a lot. So I want to dig into this with you. Now, I'm going to show you a map here. See that triangle on the map? That's called the Jewish Triangle, the cities of Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. If we extended that triangle to Gennesaret and Magdala, 
75% of the gospels and the gospel stories happen inside that triangle. That is known as the Jewish triangle. In that particular section of the world, the Jews were extremely committed to God, to studying his word, to teaching their kids his word, to memorizing his word, to living by his word, and to living a very uh, godly life, seeking the kingdom of God. They were all about this. So if you went to that part of the world at this time, during Jesus' time, it was kind of like the, the Jewish bubble where everybody lived by the law of God and there were these insular family units where they would come together and they would tell the stories of God to each other. Okay, that's where Jesus did most of his ministry. Now, he tells his disciples, we're gonna go to the other side. And the reason he says the other side is because if you were living in the Jewish triangle, it wasn't even the right thing to mention out of your mouth a Gentile town's name. If you said a Gentile town's name out of your mouth, you were immediately unclean. If you entered a Gentile's region or home, you were really unclean. So Jesus says, let's go to the other side because he doesn't even want to mention the name of the town where they're going to go. But he takes them across and they land somewhere near Hippos. Now the reason I know this is because uh, it mentions in the story that we're going to get to as we keep going, the, the cities of the Decapolis. And I don't think Decapolis is on there, but down by Gadara down there would be the Decapolis. These were 10 cities built by Alexander the Great back in this time. Now, you know Alexander the Great, right? He was the guy that conquered the ancient world, and he spread Hellenism all through the ancient world. Okay, Alexander the Great's great mission in the world was to basically make everybody into Greek thinkers, have a Greek worldview. The way he, the way he did this, he would plant cities everywhere he conquered, and Alexander the Great knew that if he could take control of four things, he could change the world. So he took control of the media, he took control of education, media by the way back then was the theater, education, sports was the circuses and the arenas, and finally he took control of the gods. He made the gods in the image of man. So Alexander the Great began to spread Hellenism all over the ancient world. Now in the Jewish triangle, God was the king, God was the savior, but on the other side of the lake, Caesar was the king. Caesar was the savior. Caesar provided prosperity, peace, security, and here the worldview was Hellenism. So it wasn't about the revelation of God that you got. It was all about what you could know in your mind and what you could prove with your eyes, what you could understand with science in Hellenistic culture. The people that were celebrated in, in Hippos and the Decapolis cities were people with good looks, people that have accomplished a lot, Athletes, statesmen. So the statues that lined the streets of these cities were statues that celebrated the great accomplishments of the Greeks, that lifted mankind to the top. On top of this, if you wanted to sow your wild oats, you could go to these cities. Now, notice these pillars. These are some of the ruins of the Decapolis. So I've been to the Decapolis. You can go see these cities. These cities were all destroyed in 12 seconds by an earthquake, never to be rebuilt again. Back in the early time just after Jesus was around, okay? So these Decapolis cities are, are massive. Those stone pillars are so massive they couldn't be put on a, a modern-day semi-truck. be impossible, okay? But if you want to sow your wild oats, if you want to have a good party, this is the Las Vegas of the day. So when Jesus tells the prodigal son story, he's probably thinking of the Decapolis. And if you were a good Jew in the Jewish triangle, you could see the Decapolis across the lake 
and you, you knew it was a place you never wanted to go, talk about, or touch. What's Jesus do? He takes his disciples to the Decapolis on purpose. What? This is kind of crazy. Now we need to pause here. Think about this. This is important. Jesus, the Son of God, was on a mission. What was his mission? To seek and to save lost people. So what's he do? He goes on purpose to places where lost people actually live. He leaves the Jewish triangle, the little bubble, and he says, we got to get on the mission of God, and he heads out to the Decapolis, where the lost people are, so we can actually talk to, meet, and hang out with lost people. Now, too many of us in the church actually think of the church like a fortress to protect us. The Jewish triangle was like a fortress, a protection, right? If you live there, the world couldn't get you. So we, we build our churches to be fortresses where we can be protected from the evil of the world. But Jesus says, no, the church is not a fortress. It's a mission hut. And I plant it in the middle of the jungle so that this church can go out and actually on purpose interact with non-Christians so that we can actually accomplish the mission of God. Make sense? Now, I've practiced this for a long time. So in my neighborhood in Wheaton, the holy city of Wheaton, of course, um, the, uh, there's a guy in my neighborhood who throws, every year he throws a party. It's called the Illinois Street Brew Fest. And brew does not refer to root beer. First to beer. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm a Wheaton College grad, and frankly, I don't even like beer. So I was invited to this party by my neighbor, and I thought, I'm going to this party because this is exactly where Jesus would be. So I'm going to this party. All my neighbors are going to be there. So I said to my one neighbor, I said, hey, uh, because the entrance to this party was a six-pack of beer. So I said to my neighbor, you got to disciple me in beer, beer buying. Take me to Benny's Beverage Depot, and, and we got to buy some beer for this party. And you got to tell me about this. So he takes me to this, this store. On the wall, there's like... I don't know, hundreds of micro-brew beers. I had no clue. I'm like, this is unbelievable. He starts giving me a lecture on these beers. I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to pick out the beer to bring? I have no idea. And then I saw it right in the middle of the pile, Hebrew ale, the chosen beer. I'm like, that's it, baby. So I picked that beer up today, Hebrew ale, the chosen beer. I took that thing off, and I said, I'm taking that to the party. I went to the party. I met 45 of my neighbors in my neighborhood and my beer had a taste off with Beelzebub beer, I think Hebrew ale one. It was amazing. I had significant conversations with my neighbors because I went on purpose to where non-Christians were. I didn't get drunk. I didn't get defiled. I didn't become a person that acted like them. I just came as a Christian and shined the light of Jesus in this difficult spot in my neighborhood, right? And got to know some non-Christian friends, people that are lost. How will we ever reach lost people, make any disciples if we never get with lost people? we got to get with lost people on purpose like Jesus did. Now, we're only on verse 1, folks. Now, you're thinking, well, this is going to be a long sermon. Yeah. All right, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's get into the story. Let's read this. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So Jesus meets a guy, and he's in chains. They're broken chains because these chains couldn't even hold him down. 
He was so evil, so demon-possessed, that he could break these chains. His life was such chaos that he would cut himself with stones to try to destroy himself. When Jesus gets out of the boat in this terrible place, this terrible Gentile land, the first thing that meets him, a demon-possessed man in chains who's completely nuts and probably running around naked in the tombs. Now, most of us today, we don't like to think about demon possession too much. Most of us figure demon possession is kind of done with back in the Bible times, but I'm going to just tell you something. The demons are alive and well, and they're still doing their work in the world. Yeah. Don't you wonder what happened to this guy? Like, at what point in his life did he make an agreement with the enemy to the point where the enemy was able to actually take control of his heart, his life, put him in these chains, and have him live among the dead people in the tombs. Don't you wonder? Did he have a family problem? Did he get confused with, by some Hellenistic teacher? Did he make some agreement in some occultic practice in his city? Did he party too hard and let the enemy in? I don't know. But this guy meets Jesus, right? And he's in these chains and he's crazy. Now I'm gonna tell you something, folks. This guy had absolutely zero value in the city of Hippos, a Hellenistic culture. He was completely nuts, which is why they changed him outside the city in the tombs. And in a Jewish culture, a guy living in tombs among the dead, running around naked, would be the worst of the worst of the worst. But Jesus, he meets him, he sees him differently, and he begins to move in and relate to him in a way that will hopefully change his life forever. Now I'm going to tell you something. In our culture, even though behind the veneer of the nice Elmhurst homes and the nice Elmhurst manicured lawns and nice Elmhurst cars, everything looks pretty good. But the demons are at work. And they're chaining people up. And they're taking control of them. And they're convincing them of lies. And they're ruining their lives. We can't see their chains. Right? They don't act like this demon-possessed guy, but the reality is they're just as broken. And Jesus goes to this guy on purpose because he wants to free him from these chains. Do you know anybody around you that has these on who needs the love of Jesus, who needs to know what you know about this Jesus? That might be the person that God's calling you to get involved with, as crazy as it might seem, because you actually have the one thing they need that can actually break these chains and throw them off and free that person once and for all. Wouldn't it be awesome to be the person sent by God on purpose to a broken, lost person to free them from their chains? Wouldn't it be cool If your Christianity had that kind of a mission, that kind of a purpose, that'd be amazing. Let's keep reading. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Next slide. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. So let's just review here. This guy comes yelling at the top of his voice, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of God. Now it's thought in the ancient world that if you know someone's name, you actually have power over them. So this demon tries to play the power play over Jesus by naming him. But Jesus, of course, turns the tables and gets the demon's name, which is legion, a Roman legion with 6,000 soldiers strong. By the way, the 10th Roman legion was stationed in this area. They had done a lot of amazing things during the Roman battle for the world. And the symbol on their shields were the pig. Interesting. Jesus is establishing his authority over both the spiritual realm and the physical realm. He is basically coming to say, God is going to reign in this place, whether you like it or not. And he takes these demons and he casts them into these pigs and they run into the sea and they drown. Now Jesus has what's called spiritual authority. Spiritual authority exposes the darkness. People who move with spiritual authority, they actually uh, reveal the darkness for what it really is. We as the church of Jesus are supposed to move with the spiritual authority of Jesus. We have the power to build the kingdom of Jesus both in the world and in the hearts and lives of people who have lost their way. We need to learn to move with spiritual authority. So a few weeks ago, I was in Colorado at Colorado Challenge Camp with about 250 high school students. And the first day, I saw a young lady there. Her name is Kelsey. And uh, she actually, uh, I baptized her three years ago in the pool at Colorado Camp. During the week, she had found Jesus. She had a very rough story. And I baptized her in the pool. I hadn't seen her for about three years. So I went over and talked with her and said, how's it going? And it wasn't going so well. She told me a bunch of stuff going on in her life. And on Thursday night, we gathered in a room, some prayer minister people, and we began to pray for Kelsey. It went on for well over an hour. You know why? For well over an hour, Kelsey could not say out loud to me, Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth. She could not say those words. We continued to ask her to say out loud, to take authority over the demonic stuff that was going on in her life and just say, Jesus is Lord. For one hour, we battled in prayer with Kelsey so that she could say, Jesus is Lord. And after an hour, she finally spoke the words, Jesus is Lord. You could see her whole countenance change as she took authority in her life over the enemy. This is just one example of people that are walking around under the control of the enemy because they've made agreements with the enemy and the enemy's got control of their lives. We, as the church, have the power to change their world because the Jesus living in us is the guy with the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, right? So we have the power. Let's keep going. Those tending the pigs ran off 
reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. This is unbelievable. A miracle's occurred. A man's life has been changed. And these people want Jesus out of there. You know why? Because the demonic control of that region is still going on, right? It does not want Jesus. doesn't want the kingdom of God. Get out of here, Jesus. Take your show out of here. Take it somewhere else. So what happens next? Look at this. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, all 10 cities of Las Vegas, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, this is amazing to me. This guy wants to go with Jesus. He's like, man, look at my life's changed. Jesus, I want to become one of your disciples. Let me go in the boat with you. Jesus said, nope, nope. I want you to go back to the Decapolis and tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. Now, I have Christians tell me all the time that they're not ready to talk about what the Lord has done for them. I have Christians tell me all the time, I'm not ready to do evangelism. Well, let me ask you a question. How many Sunday school classes has this guy been to? How many sermons did he heard? How many church services did he attended? Who has discipled this man? Who has put him through an evangelism training course? Anybody? No. In fact, he's been through nothing. He probably hasn't even read the Bible. And Jesus sends him immediately on the mission of God and says, get going. And what's your message? Tell people what the Lord has done for you. Can you do that? Can you tell people what the Lord has done for you? You know, if someone asked, would you be able to tell them? That's what it means to get on the mission of God. Now, I can tell you something, folks. If the church got on the mission of rescuing people, the world would notice. You know why I know this? Because this week when those boys were rescued from the cave in Thailand, the whole world was watching. People love rescue stories, right? So what if we became a church that was known for rescuing people that were living in chains? What if we became a church where people knew if they came here, their chains could be broken, they could be set free? What if we became that kind of church? What if we had constant baptisms of people that had been freed from their chains? This would get the world's attention. Just to make people stand up and watch. Now, just one little P.S. at the end of the sermon, that's this. If you notice in the story, we never really see the disciples. I don't know where they are. They could be in the boat because they don't want to get on the land and touch the Gentile soil. They could be standing there watching this whole thing. I don't know where they are at. They're not mentioned. Notice this is all Jesus on the scene. Disciples are nowhere to be found. I can tell you this, folks. If you never get out of the boat... You'll never be able to get on the mission of God. Never get out of the boat. You'll just be sitting on the sidelines while Jesus continues to build his kingdom all around you. 
So this morning, I invite you to step out of the boat, tell people what the Lord has done for you, and get engaged. Now, I told you a story about the, uh, the Brewfest party. You know what came out of that little uh, event? I started a group in my house about three months later. I invited a bunch of guys from the Brewfest party to come to my house and talk with me about their beliefs about God. I asked them if they would come to my house and join me in a spiritual conversation, bringing their questions about God to my house. Eight guys said, yeah, we'd love to come. So I gathered in my living room with two other Christians and eight non-Christians. We sat around, and the first night we asked him this question. If you, could, if you believe there was a God, and you could ask him one question, what one question would you ask him? And every guy in the circle had a question for God. The last guy to speak, in fact, was my good old buddy Dan. Dan and I had coached baseball together for years, and I had never heard Dan talk about anything but baseball and the weather and sports. When we got to the end of the night, he's the only one that hadn't talked. He was sitting in the corner, hadn't said a word. I thought, oh boy, we've really offended Dan. This could, this could be bad. So I called on him. I said, Dan, do you have a question for God? Like, what's going on? You okay? He goes, yeah, I got a question for God. I go, well, lay it on us. We're all waiting. He says, well, I just wonder if God's sending me signs that I'm missing. I said, wow, Dan, where'd you get that question from? He said, well, I got to tell you a little story before you understand. He said, you know, then this guy's a superintendent of schools now, right here in Berkeley, Illinois. Okay? So he said, I got to tell you a little story. Uh, he said, when I was a young teacher in my 20s, we used to play basketball on Friday afternoons to blow off steam together. So we're playing basketball one Friday afternoon, and my friend Bob, who was in his 40s, dies of a heart attack on the court. Really sad. He goes, two weeks later, I start getting a pain in my side, and my wife is a nurse. He says, having a wife as a nurse is the worst thing possible, right? Because she's telling me, gets to take some Advil, take some antacids, you're fine, you're 22 years old, you know, you're good. So, so he's taking pills, nothing's working. And so he, he, uh, he said he, w- he woke up, he said two weeks after this pain started, he woke up in his bed at two o'clock in the morning, his friend Bob, the one that died of a heart attack on the basketball court, was over his bed telling him to get up and drive himself to the hospital. So he did. He drove himself to the Good Samaritan Hospital. They scanned his abdomen. There was a massive blood clot in his side. The doctors were surprised he even made it to the hospital. He said, now, I believe that night God sent me my friend Bob as a sign to save my life. My question is, what other signs is God sending me that I'm missing? That was the beginning of a long conversation between me and Dan. It continues to this day. Guys, the mission of God is a blast. It's a blast. Will you join me, right, in freeing people from their chains? Will you join Jesus in seeking the lost, right, and helping people find freedom in him? That would be an awesome, awesome endeavor, right? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you for these amazing stories of the work you did and continue to do. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to become part of the story. Not just read it, not just know it, not just discuss it. Help us, Jesus, to become part of it. Help us to understand how you want us to move 
become part of what you're doing in the world. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. At this time, we're going to ask the deacons to come forward and take our offering this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you again. We want you to know that this offering is really not your issue. Um, This is for those of us that call this our home church, so just don't worry about it. If you are visiting, though, I'd like to invite you to fill out a welcome card. They're they're either at the Welcome Center in the back, or I believe maybe in your bulletin, maybe fill it out, take it to the Welcome Center. We'd love to get to know who you are and understand who you are today and and get to know your name, okay? Okay.